I want to share with you some thoughts that have been on my mind recently. First, I think I just want to pray and ask God to be with us during this portion of the service. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word are the words of life. And I just ask God for, that you would open up your word to us this morning. God, that we would experience the reality of your presence and your power in ways we never have in the past, Lord. God, draw close to us today. Speak to your people. Speak to us today, God. May we hear your voice and know your presence and experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I have been uh, reading recently in the book of Matthew, and I came across the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Matthew 14. And as, as I was reading that story, a number of things kind of jumped out at me. And so I'd like to examine the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, because I believe in that story we're going to see a picture of God's heart for mankind, and also a picture of the part that you and I play in his story. When we became a believer in Christ, whether we realize it or not, we made the decision to join his story and not just write our own story. And so there, there, a couple of questions come to mind when I think about that. First of all, what is my part? What is your part in his story? Have we ever taken time to find out from the Lord, God, what part do you have for me in your story? And the, the second question that comes to my mind is, are we overly focused on writing our story apart from his story? Hmm? How many of us are so busy with our story that we've forgotten where we fit in his story? And so just something to consider as we go into uh, this, uh, this story out of the book of Matthew. I'm going to read all the verses. It's Matthew 14, verses 14 through 20. And it says this, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So why don't you just send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves? But Jesus said, hey, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now that's a challenge right there. And they said to him, whoa, we only have five loaves and two fish. What's this man thinking? And he said, bring them here to me. And then in verse 19, ordering the people to sit down, on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. All right, so let's start verse by verse. And let's be a little interactive. All right? Amen, oh me, oh boy, whatever, but something. <clears throat> All right. Matthew 14, 14. When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. One of the first things that stood out to me in that verse is that before Jesus fed anybody, before Jesus healed anybody. The Bible says he first had compassion for the people. One translation says he had pity for the people. Another translation says he was sympathetic towards them. 
I believe that Jesus' ministry to people was and is driven by his love for people, his concern for their well-being. I don't, I, I'm not sure that you and I realize the depth of God's love for us. I, I think it would dramatically change the way we live our lives if we had a really clear picture of God's love for us. In Lamentations 3.22, it says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, and His compassions will never fail. Amen. Is that true or not? Do we believe that true? Amen. That the compassions of God, the love of God toward us will never fail. In 1 John 4.16, uh, John says, We've come to know, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. My challenge to you is to me is, have I come to know and have I believed in the incredible love that God has for me? Going on further down in 1 John 4, it says we love, why? Because He first loved us. I believe Jesus' story and therefore God the Father's story is filled with love, care, and compassion for mankind. Now, one of the verses that's always stood out to me as a picture of God's love is Romans 5.8. And it says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates or displays his love. Jesus' death is a picture of how much God loves us. God displays his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we're enemies of the cross. We didn't care about God. We were doing our own thing. Jesus, he had his son, Jesus Christ, die on the cross for you and me because of the love the Father has for us. Another picture of God's compassion that's always stood out to me is a story in Luke 7 where Jesus is approaching the city of Nain. And it says this, Now as Jesus approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother... And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Now, you've got to insert yourself in this story. Here's a woman that had already lost her husband, and particularly in that culture, that put her in a very desperate place. She had already lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son. She is distraught and despairing. And then it says in verse 13, When the Lord saw her, he what? He felt compassion for her. One translation said he overflowed with love for her. Another translation says his heart broke for her. And he said to her, do not weep. If you're going to tell a widow who just lost her son not to weep, you better have the goods. (laughs) Verse 14, and he came up and touched the coffin And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus saw this woman's emotional pain and suffering. Jesus didn't just come for our spiritual needs. But also for our physical needs, our emotional needs, our mental needs. For every part of our man, body, soul, and spirit, Jesus is there for us. So I believe that as with Jesus, any foundation for you and I to help others must be based on our love for them. 
not desire to get them fixed, not for me to demonstrate my gifts, but because of the love and compassion God's placed in my heart for them. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul makes it very clear. He says, put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of compassion. We, we, we must, uh, before we can really have a heart of compassion for people, we must understand how much God loves us. And I believe the greater revelation we have of God's love for us, the greater will be our capacity to love others with that same kind of Christ-like love. We desperately need a revelation of God's love. God's love is a seedbed from which we love others. But first, we have to know how much he loves us. And I'm not talking about emotional love when things are going good. And, wow, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm talking about a deep revelation that God loves us even when bad things happen and God seemingly is nowhere to be found. We will not doubt, we will not deny God's love for us in that situation. Paul says this concerning Christ in Colossians 1.15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. God is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus imaged or projected God the Father to the world. Jesus projected the love of the Father to the world. In the same way, I believe we have been created to image or project Christ to the world. We have been created to project the love of God, the love of Christ to the world. We're called to be a bridge. Uh, we're, we're called to bridge the divide between heaven and earth. Think about that. Think of the high calling we have in our lives. Think of the responsibility we have. Think of the calling we have, the bridge, the divide between heaven and earth to show people the reality of heaven. I've, I've read this verse before in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Uh, it says, we have borne the image of the earthly, but we will also bear the image of the heavenly. I don't know about you, but I've borne the image of the earthly probably too much. And it's time to bear the image of the heavenly. But what this verse means to me is that every person has an identity that uniquely bears the image of God. Each and every believer has an identity that uniquely um, images God to the world. And the world is longing for that picture. Longing to see God through us and the unique image that we bear of Christ. And that's why it says in Romans 8.19... Uh, that creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation is waiting eagerly for you and I to stand up and to image Christ and image Christ's love to the world. Now let's go on to verse 15 in Matthew 14. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Look, Lord, this place is desolate. The hour is already late. You just need to send this crowd home that they may go into their villages and buy food for themselves. Now, <clears throat> I believe the disciples were doing what we often do, is they were looking at the situation with the natural eye. They saw all this chaos, all these people. They saw the little amount of food and the little amount of resources they had, and they concluded, well, there's nothing we can do here. And the disciples saw, I think, what we often see when we face difficulties in our lives, and that is lack 
insufficient resources, and impossibilities. Hmm? Jesus saw, however, what I believe that we should see is the opportunity to exercise faith in the Father's love and His ability and His willingness to help. How often do we look at situations in our lives and see lack first rather than the opportunity for God to move in some way? Hello, anybody? Now, it's interesting, if you look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John, you see some things that we didn't see in the book of Matthew. And in John chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy the bread so that these, may, these many people may eat? Now, verse 6 is interesting. It says, this, Jesus said, this he was, this he was testing, Again, this he was saying to test them, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered and said, Whoa, Lord, you know, we got 200 denarii, but that's not enough bread. That's insufficient for all these people, for everyone to receive enough bread for dinner. What, that, there's no way we can do anything with this situation. Now, of course, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to work a miracle. But I believe he, he wanted the disciples to, to learn not to define the outcome of a situation by the apparent lack of resources. Hmm? He wanted disciples to see the unlimited possibilities available, available to them through faith in Christ Jesus. Too often we allow our lack of resources to define the outcome of a situation. Instead of saying, God, this is an opportunity for you to move in a great way because I need a great miracle. Moving on in Matthew 14, verse 16 and 17. But Jesus said to them, look, you don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. Don't send them away. You, disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Lord, we only have here five loaves and two fish. How's that going to feed all these people? You know, I would say, first of all, that Jesus is not about sending people away. He's about calling people to himself. In fact, he challenges the thinking of the disciples here. And Jesus says, not only, not only do I not want you to send them away, I want you to bring them to me, and then I want you to take care of their needs. Isn't that what he's saying? I believe it's a picture of how you and I were created to be co-laborers with Christ in the building of his kingdom. There's a part that you and I play in the building of God's kingdom. The miracle may be the Lord's, but the hands and feet, the flesh and blood are ours. Jesus worked the miracle. Jesus multiplied the food, but the disciples took it to the people. And that's what you and I are called to do, to trust in God for the miracle and then take it to the people. I want to look at another story kind of shows the hearts of the disciples again. And this is in Matthew 15, 22. It's a story about a Canaanite woman. A Canaanite woman was a Gentile woman, that, uh, and, the Gentile, and there was animosity between the Gentiles and the Jews. And, uh, and so the disciples were kind of already prejudiced. Anyway, uh, it says this in Matthew 15, 22. And a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out to Jesus, Have mercy on me, 
Lord, Son of David. Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David, for my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And the next verse is kind of interesting, but he did not answer her a word. I often wondered why Jesus did not answer her a word. Perhaps we'll see that in a moment. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Look, this woman is screaming and yelling at us. You've got to send her away. Maybe that's why he didn't say anything. He wanted to give the disciples a chance to reveal what was really in their heart. <laughs> I believe this woman and her problems were beyond both the love and therefore the faith of the disciples. Without love, there will never be true faith. If these disciples had only taken time to see this woman through guys, through God's eyes, I believe faith would have been released in their hearts to minister to her. You understand what I'm saying? If they had just taken time, you know, sometimes when we're having a struggle in a relationship with somebody, we need to ask God, God, what do you see here? How do you see this person? And I believe if you could take time to do that and pray and seek the heart of the Lord, he's going he's to reveal to you his love for her, and he's going to place that love for her in you, or them, whoever they are. In uh, uh, something Chris Valentin says, now he's talking about Christians here, but he, something he said interesting concerning 2 Corinthians 5.17 it said, if anyone, is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, right? So is that past tense, present tense, future tense? What is that? It's present and future. If we're in Christ, we are what? A new creature, a new creation. Chris Valentin says this, we need to speak to others as a new creation, speaking to their purpose and possibility instead of their problem." I often define people by their problems. Not the purpose God has for them or the possibilities that lay before them in Christ. I define them by their problems. I put them in a box and they're stuck there. That's only me, right? <laughs> Leave it to Fed. <clears throat> you know, the needs of people can be overwhelming. Um, but the compassion and the ability to meet those needs is not in ourselves, but in God, who I believe always says yes. In, uh, we get a picture of the incredible place that we've been called to in God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and it says he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He gave them authority over the spiritual world and he gave them authority to speak health and wholeness in the people's lives. I believe we walk in the unlimited authority of God. If we only understood the place that we have in Christ and the authority and the power that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. If we would simply take his word and believe it. Now, however, one of the things that we often do 
is place boundaries on God with our own limited, finite, unrenewed way of thinking. Isaiah 55, 9, a verse that we all should all be familiar with. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are... This is God speaking. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you ever consider the fact that if he is truly God, that his ways ought to be higher than ours? That his thoughts ought to be higher than ours? If not, he's not God. I'm God. Why do we choose to limit God to our thoughts and our ways and our understanding of things. I believe that when we do this, we bring God down to our level, level and in reality, we set ourselves up as God. Right? God's thoughts are higher than ours. God's ways are higher than ours. I don't have to understand it all, but I have to acknowledge the fact that his ways are better than my ways, his thoughts are better than my thoughts, and I need to embrace his way and his thoughts instead of leaning heavily on my ways and my thoughts and bringing God down to my level. I believe that God's thoughts, his abilities, his power are so much bigger than we can ever imagine. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to what? That works where? Within us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. God can do far more abundantly than we can ever think, according to what? The power that works in us, as if we are expected to walk in the reality of that authority and that power. If we could only get a hold of, of truths like that. Jesus has commissioned us to be his hands and his feet and to allow him to do mighty works through us. In uh, going down and further down in the story, Matthew 14, verse 18, and Jesus said to them, bring them here to me. Amen. Disciples, bring the people to me. You know, we don't have the wisdom or the power to fix people or to solve their problems. But we know someone that does, and it's our task to invite them to the foot of the cross so they can encounter the living Christ and receive help for whatever situation they're dealing with in their lives. It's not our job to send them away. In fact, we're not only not called to send them away, we're not called to ignore them. Is ignoring them really any different than sending them away? We're called to be available vessels in God's hand so that he can do mighty things through us. Going on in verse 19 of Matthew 14, ordering the people to sit down. This is Jesus ordering the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, there's just something significant about this that we need to get a hold of. First note that the disciples 
were given the task of distributing the results of the miracle that Jesus worked. The disciples were given the responsibility to distribute the results of the miracle that Jesus worked. And I believe you and I have that same role today. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to feed 5,000 people. I don't know how to feed 100 people at a church covered dish dinner. How, however, it's obvious to me that God wants us to partner with him in the working of miracles today, now, in our lives. Who we are as people. God wants to use us to release I lost my place to release his love and his provision for us today today now is the day he wants us to release his love and his provision today we must move beyond seeing what we do not have or how daunting the circumstances are, and believe in the faithfulness, provision, and willingness of God to help others. We've got to remember God's incredible love for mankind. We've got to look at the cross and, 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 and the death of Christ and realize how much God loved us that he would allow his son to die for us when we didn't give a hoot and a holler. Because he loves us. We're flesh and blood conduits that God wants to use to demonstrate, to display his love and his power to the world around us. All right. Verse 14, uh, Matthew 14, verse 20. There's something interesting I saw here. Uh, and they ate all, they ate all, and we're satisfied. All 5,000. This is 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're probably close to 10,000 people here. Anyway, um, they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. Now, did you ever ask yourself the question, why was there so much food left over when Jesus fed the 5,000? If Jesus could figure out how to multiply enough food to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, then he ought to be able to figure out how much food to provide. Seems reasonable to me. So why was there so much food left over? Ah, you're stealing my lines. I saw an interesting contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when God fed the people with manna, they gathered what? Enough for every day, and any excess will become foul with worms and rot. That's all they could gather, enough for themselves that day. In the New Testament, when God fed the people, there was enough food for everyone plus. In the Old Testament, God provided just enough, but in the New Testament, God provided more than enough. I believe we serve a God of more than enough. Too often our own mentality limits us to the natural and fetters our ability to believe for the impossible. I think we've all been invited to walk in the fullness of his provision and his miraculous life. We ought to be a naturally supernatural people. 
Not as supernatural people occasionally, maybe sometimes. But a naturally supernatural people. All right, a few concluding thoughts. As I mentioned in the beginning, I believe God has invited us into his story. The story that he is writing. Our part in God's story, I believe, is written slowly over a lifetime as we watch him move and our faith grows. And it's so important for our faith, I believe, that we remember and rehearse what God has done for us in the past. So critically important. In fact, Jesus admonishes his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 9. He says, what's the matter with you guys? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of, of the 5,000, how many baskets full you picked up? Do you not remember or understand the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? Hello? Were you guys not watching, listening? Well, we do the same thing. We see with our eyes, but we don't see with our heart. We hear with our ears, but we don't listen to what God is saying. God says, we need ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, give me, give me ears to hear what you're saying, eyes to see what you're doing so I can cooperate with the work of your spirit and be a part of building your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God, I don't want to be left out. I don't want you to walk by me and ignore me. I want to be a part of your work. As we face each day and its needs, four things to consider. Number one, never forget what God has done for you. Amen. Never forget your history in Christ. I've heard people tell me, well, God doesn't ever do anything for me. Well, then you're dead. <laughs> Ask God, show me, Lord, how you've intervened in my life and perhaps I don't even realize it. Help me to remember what you've done and to see situations I was in that you, you were there for me. In some way, you protected or provided for me. Number one, never forget what God has done for you. Number two, never doubt his love for you. Life can throw some pretty hard curveballs at us. But my understanding of God's love is not based on my experiences. It's based on the truth of God's word. Amen. What is it that Rachel said a long time ago? Never, play, never plug your faith into your feelings or your experiences. No, your truth into your experiences. Amen. The word of God defines the truth, not my experiences. <clears throat> so number two, never doubt his love for you. Number three, cultivate God's love in you for others. Cultivate. Amen. Till the soil. Work it. Until Christ's love shines through you toward others. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, ask God to show you how he views other people. What he has for other people. The compassion in his heart for other people. 
I think they're idiots. But what does God feel toward them or feel? Or what does God see? He created them all. He created all of us. What is God's heart for them? What is God's heart for this person standing in front of me that I think is just a complete moron? How come I'm so much better and he's the moron? We, I, and I speak this to myself, we need to desperately see people as God sees them. The unlimited, unbounding love of Christ. For the most pathetic person in the world, Jesus died. So number one, never forget that God, what God has done for you. Number two, never doubt his love for you. Number three, cultivate God's love in you for others. And number four, believe God is able and willing to work a miracle. Don't look at the lack. Don't look at the resources you don't have. Don't look at the impossibilities facing you. Instead, look into the eyes of the Lord and let him place hope in your heart and see the incredible possibilities that exist in Jesus Christ. You know, I believe we are called to be conduits of God's love and power, bridging heaven and earth to be a blessing to others. We are conduits of God's love and power, bridging heaven and earth, so we can bring the love of Christ to the world. And I believe if we're willing, the Holy Spirit living in us will empower us to love people with the unconditional Christ-like love. Now, one last observation in this story, and that's in Mark 14, verse 23. After he sent the crowds away, after Jesus sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. All the crowds are gone. All the excitement is gone. The disciples are gone. They're out in a boat getting terrorized by the wind and the waves. He's alone on the mountain and he's praying to his father. I believe the source of Jesus' love and power was found in a relationship with God through prayer. Through his talking to the father, communicating to the father, and listening for the voice of the father. This is how we are going to write our story into his story as we build our relationship with God through prayer as well. I believe this is the secret of Jesus' ability to minister to people the way he did. One, because of compassion and love. And two, because he was in tune with the heart of the Father. He spent time to go up on the mountain alone, spend time with God, talk to God, ask God things, shake his fist at God and say, I don't understand why you did that. But stay there long enough to hear the voice of God. And to walk away with a fresh deposit of God's life. And a fresh revelation of God's love. I know there are people here that doubt that God loves them. You're not building your truth on a solid foundation when you do that. You're building on the rocky sand of this world and your feelings and emotions. 
My feelings and emotions come and go. You, you, I, I don't know what happens when you stand before the judgment seat and you know, God looks at your thoughts. I hope he's not telling the whole world what I'm thinking or have thought or what I felt. Or It would be sad. Don't build your life on your emotions and feelings. They come and they go. Don't build your truth on your emotions and feelings. They're wishy-washy. You'll be double-minded. You'll never hear the voice of the Lord. Regardless of what's going on in your life, declare the truth over yourself. I am a child of God. God loves me. I have purpose and meaning in life. All right. I, it's late enough, I think. Um, I just want to pray a prayer over the congregation right now. So if we could just put ourselves in an attitude of prayer. I want to pray out of Ephesians 3, uh, starting at uh, verse 17. And uh, there's no better prayer than the prayers right out of Scripture. Amen. Lord, I pray that Christ might live in our hearts through faith. And God, that we be, would be rooted and grounded in your love. And we would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love, God, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, goes beyond our own thinking, much bigger than who we are, that, you may be, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I ask you to make that true in our lives, God. Make it true in my life. May I never doubt who you are, your love for me, not just your ability to do things, but your willingness to do things. I believe, God, you're always there saying yes when we come to you and say, Lord, help me. That help may come in different ways and look differently and not always, it's not always sometimes satisfying in the natural, but God is always there. He's a very present help in our time of need. Father, I pray today for a revelation of your love in our hearts. Lord, we're never going to love people the way you do if we don't see how much you love us. Lord, I understand from the Bible what it says, but I need a revelation. A supernatural empowerment by your spirit that lives in us that opens up our hearts to love with a Christ-like love. Lord, your word says that we are to be wells of living water. A, flow, a river is supposed to flow up out of us and splash itself out on those around us, Lord. Now, I don't want that river to be dirty water. I want that river to be the pure water of your life of your power, of your compassion, of your love. Lord, I have, I have borne the image of the earthly far too long. Lord, help us to bear the image of the heavenly. To be the people that you've called us to be, created us to be, and commissioned us to be. God, we bless you, we honor you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.